Volcano Bake Me podcast. Yes. Hello. Yeah. So, thanks for joining, guys. Glad to have you here. Uh, just want to give you a quick intro to sort of what our podcast is about. Again, we are Volcano Bake Meat. While many video game podcasts uh, focus on news, uh, what the hosts might currently be playing at the time, uh, we decided to do something a bit different uh, and come at video game discussions from a different angle. Uh, we took our collective love of video games and combined it with our individual passions for uh, things like storytelling, psychology, education, economics, marketing, and anything else we just happen to know a little bit about, <laughs> and dive into the bigger questions of gaming, or sometimes the smaller questions. Uh, so each episode, we explore a single topic uh, and try to understand its relationship to gaming and our outside world. Uh, so without further ado, we'll introduce ourselves, and we'll start down there with the shaved head man. Hi, guys. My name is Jeff. Uh, we decided to do a fun fact, didn't we? Yes. We did. All right, so my fun fact is that I currently have 2,200 hours in Dota, which is about three months. So I'm hoping that if I can get that up to nine months, I can write it off as a child on my taxes and thus spend more time playing Dota. Uh, my individual contribution, I guess you could say, to the podcast is that I've always had a business brain. I've taken economics classes. If I had money and time, I would be actively going to school for an economics degree, but yay the economy. So just, <laughs> just doing my best to keep on going through. But I love to analyze things from a sales perspective, from a marketing perspective, although marketing is more his deal. And just taking a look at the economics of the situation, whatever that might be. So that's what I do. Grant? Uh, I'm Grant. Oh, that's loud. And I'm loud. <laughs> and I'm loud. I am the loud one. Jeff does the audio edits, and he can attest. He always has to turn me down. Uh, I'm Grant. Uh, fun fact about me is that I actually don't know what my high score is on Tetris DS because it stops counting after 10,000 lines. On a related note, I was not popular in high school. Um, the thing that I bring to the podcast is uh, I am a teacher, and so I can kind of bring this idea of how games teach us as we play them, which is interesting. I don't think it's ever actually come up on the podcast, but in theory, I could do that. Um, <laughs> really, it's just that I consider myself to be uh, sort of an, the hardcore gamer. I, I play a lot of games. I can frankly be a little bit of an elitist prick about it sometimes and uh, so I can bring sometimes. that sort of perspective and I think out of everybody I play the most RPGs so I'm the guy who brings up Final Fantasy whenever it's necessary and when it's not especially, especially when it's not and Metal Gear um, I'm Paige uh, I'm Paige uh, my fun fact is I'm currently playing through Red Dead Redemption for the first time and it, in an impressive move I shot my own horse while I was writing it. Um, for, yeah, for, the, for the podcast, uh, I think all of us love storytelling, but I do, uh, I do love looking at how stories are created, how they're composed, what, what tropes and ideas they're bringing in, uh, and how video games are the same and different from different mediums. Um, I also have a disgustingly deep love of casual games. Uh, if it was made with Flash, I'm there. So I, I bring that to the podcast. She also makes sure we get all our stuff in on time. Yeah. <laughs> yes. We wouldn't be here if it weren't for Paige. <laughs> no. It's really true. Three out of five of us have writing degrees. Isn't that weird? <laughs> um, so I'm Connor. 
Uh, and a fun fact about me is that um, when I was a, a young lad, two of my very favorite video games were Halo 2 uh, and Barbie's Undersea Adventure. And I'm not kidding, it's a fantastic game. Go play it, it's awesome. Um, <laughs> and what I bring to the podcast uh, is, I, is I studied a lot of marketing in school and that's kind of been my weird hobby passion. I know marketing seems like a weird passion to have, but I really like it. And I like kind of analyzing how a lot of games sort of embrace that, uh, or in many cases, don't embrace it <laughs> and do it very badly. Uh, so that's always uh, sort, of, that's a, sort of a unique perspective I bring into things. Uh, Jessica, I think we'll go over to you. All right. And uh, yeah, no, I'm Jessica. My fun fact and what I bring to the podcast kind of blend together. Um, I am here for this podcast, and immediately after, I have to run back to the uh, what we call the unnamed gaming retail store that I managed to help launch the Nintendo Switch. Decisions were made, and I currently have a voicemail from an assistant manager. That will have to wait. <laughs> oh, boy. Things just Woo! got very real. Yeah. All right. So. All right. So, again, welcome, guys. Uh, what we wanted to do today was sort of a live recording of an episode, uh, specifically talking about community in video games. Uh, and by that, we mean kind of like the out-of-game communities, so communities that kind of rise up and are built around a particular video game. Uh, not the actual in-game community of when you're playing Counter-Strike Go and talking to people, and it gets really bad. We, we do not want to talk about how many times Jessica and I have heard, you're a girl, when we're playing Overwatch. That is not, we're not talking about how many people have had sex with Jeff's mom, like we are not, we are not bringing that in here, or how many 12-year-olds have told him that. I also just want to point out, I just realized two of my former students are in the audience, so all of you better watch your mouths. <laughs> Doesn't he suck? He's horrible. Hi, guys. Yes. Um, so I think our first question, other yes. than uh, the questions that I have for Grant's former students afterward, uh, is what makes a com gaming community good or bad? Like, what is the gaming community that you want to go to? Which one is toxic and you, you stay far away from? So, I think one thing that, and this might seem a bit simplistic at first to talk about, but when it comes to what makes a good or bad community, it kind of is all about the attitude that everyone kind of has about that particular game. Um, and that can be sort of that can be more friendly and open and, hey, come in, we're all, we're all friends here, we're all nice. Or it can be kind of you know, competitive and aggressive, like Dark Souls, I know, is, is, is probably a very aggressive community, and so, so are communities like Counter-Strike, which, <laughs> which, which are very competitive. And I'm talking about like, like the forums online for Counter-Strike and things like that, or like the actual uh, competitions that Valve will host every year. Um, whereas uh, games like Stardew Valley has a huge community, uh, and there, it's no, nowhere near anywhere near as competitive or mean as Counter-Strike might be. Mainly because the biggest issue you have there is, you know, what, what crops are you going to harvest and who are you going to romance? Well, and I think it's interesting. It's not just the game. It's the history, possibly, of that community. Because Overwatch has some really great community. I love going and looking at Overwatch memes on Reddit. I love talking to people and, like, watching. Actually, the Sombra countdown was really fun to watch to see how people were freaking out and getting into the alternate reality game. The, the Sombra Countdown, I think, was a great example of both the good and the bad yeah. of, of video game communities, because you had people getting hyped and being excited and all the good stuff that can come when everyone comes together and loves a game, but then you also had every time the timer would tick down to nothing and everyone started flipping tables, 
and you'd see what happens when a good community goes bad. When a yep. good community goes salty. Yeah. Well, and I think also, but if you look for one of the most infamous communities in gaming, the Blizzard forums. Oh God. <laughs> exactly. They're they're known as being incredibly toxic, incredibly just like bad places to be in your life, which is a weird thing to pair with the very positive Overwatch community. And so I think that the history of those communities that they can bring in is another thing that can shape whether it's a good or bad game, completely absent of the game itself. Is Blizzard that bad? Oh yeah, no, the Blizzard forums are infamous for being just like some of the worst places to wander into. Yeah, okay. Blizzard itself is fine, but the people, we don't, we don't talk about them. <laughs> Sorry well, if there are any Blizzard employees in the audience. Well, it's, oh, it's not the Blizzard employees. It's, no, it's, it's not, not the, the Blizzard employees, employees. It's the people who it's, post on their the forums. Yeah, 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 yeah. The employees are perfectly nice. It's oh, the, sure. it's the people who post on people who use like, website. Blizzard's website. They're just terrible. Well, and I think that it's the, I mean, as you were saying, it's the attitude that you bring into the community. If the attitude you're bringing into the community is, I love games, you love games, we love games together, let's, you know, make more content about this thing that we love so we have more time we can spend with this thing, that's awesome. But if your attitude towards it is like, hey, I'm better than you because I know this thing better than you, that's not going to be a good place to be. You're going to get a lot of people who are trying to, you know, bring the worst of themselves to other people. If I could actually elaborate on that a little bit, I think it's also a difference in the kind of games they're making. If you look at what they were making before with StarCraft, WarCraft, and Diablo, Diablo not so much, but StarCraft and WarCraft were both fiercely competitive games, StarCraft being the national sport of South Korea for God only knows how many years. If you were to think about it this way, what would happen if you were to get a football forum here in America? Like, let's try and get a civil discussion between Packers fans and Chicago Bears fans. That's not going to happen. So you get people who play Zerg and Protoss in StarCraft, they're not going to get along because of these ingrained, fierce, competitive instincts that have not necessarily been nurtured by Blizzard, but have been created by the community. Well... Would you say that they're created by the community or that's what we bring to it? Because, I mean, if you're, if you're drawn to that kind of game, if you're drawn to something where you're fighting someone else or being better than other people, that's going to be part of who you are and it's feeding something in you. Well, if you're going for something like Stardew, that's kind of restful and fun. Not that the same person can't play both, but what you're going to get out of that game and out of that community is different. So it could be that that's just says something about the kind of people who choose to participate in those communities. That's entirely true. Well, and I think what Jeff was kind of getting at is that you're going to inherently get more confrontation or less confrontation just depending on whether or not it's a competitive game. If it's a competitive game, I mean, I know Overwatch is very uh, cooperatively based, but even it, you know, even on some of the better, quote-unquote, better Overwatch communities, like you go on the Overwatch subreddit, uh, there is a bit where you would get insulted and flamed and, you know, generally ridiculed. The Genji, the Genji flare? Yeah, even if you just had, yeah. if, if Genji was your flare. <laughs> no matter what you said, if Genji was your flare, the response was, well, pff, of course you'd say that you're Genji main. Yeah. Like, hey, look at this guy, he's not on the point. And Be like, nice to the Genji main, he has no friends. There was a long time where, like, if you made any mention that you were a McCree main as well, same thing, downvoted yeah. Yeah, to so Oblivion. So when the, when the community is inherently, or when the game is inherently competitive, you're going to get an inherently competitive community, too. Like, 
I mean, not necessarily because there are good communities for competitive games, but there's that running that risk because the whole point of the game is being better than other people. And so you're going to engage that primal, I'm better than you, and so I'm going to stand up here and pound my chest reaction. I, I think a large part of it, though, is like you can go, walk into a competitive game community with the attitude of like, you know, this is my team, you have your team, I think my team's better, but we can still have fun versus, no, you just suck, right? Like, welcome to Dota, you're su you suck. <laughs> yeah, I got plenty of that, so. Well, and I think that we, we are making it sound like we're vilifying competitive games. <laughs> I, I know, uh, let's let's just like let's lay it out there. I mean, you you are purportedly our our JRPG expert. Yeah. Are, are there any toxic portions of a completely oh, single player game? Yes. <laughs> After I saw Kingsglaive in theaters, I pointed out on what was Kingsglaive. Again? I pointed out Kingsglaive the, the uh, Final Fantasy 15 movie. The After Final Fantasy theaters, 15 feature length film. Yeah, I I went on to our Final Fantasy and pointed out, hey. There are two female characters in this movie. One of them seems to have some strange compulsion for suicide, literally throws herself off buildings and knowing that the lead male will save her. The other one gets fridged in the first 20 minutes of the film to power somebody else's half-assed character development. <laughs> so I pointed this out, hey, I noticed this. I'm a little worried that the main game might kind of be like this. Anybody else have these thoughts? Uh, I made the mistake of talking about sexism on the internet um, not going to make that mistake again. I got absolutely buried uh, in just people pointing out in the most inane arguments why I was wrong and that it was ridiculous to be worried about this. And, I mean, when the main game came out, it, generally it was better than that movie and it was all right. And, you know, whatever, there's some problems, but cool. But the fact that even bringing this up was a problem on a not just a thoroughly single-player game community, but also one that actually generally has a history of having some pretty good strong female characters. You'd think that'd be something that wouldn't be a problem. I was wrong. I learned that lesson. <laughs> and now so, you know. yeah. Yeah, I think to jump, to jump back a bit, and we, we, we've kind of already talked about this a little bit, but competitiveness or aggressiveness of the community I don't think is, is the problem. Yeah. I think the problem is inclusivity. It's when you get people who are gatekeeping, right? When they're like, no, you can't join this community because you're not like this or you don't understand this. And Actually, another example from the same community. I'm not uh, surprised. It's, it's, it's so hard. My, it's my favorite franchise, but the subreddit's horrible. Uh, somebody was like, oh, I had a busy February playing my first Final Fantasy games, and I had so much fun. And a screen cap of his Steam library, or his or her Steam library, I suppose I don't know, where uh, they'd platinumed or at least gotten a lot of the achievements on all three of the FF13 games. Oh, no. And that's, that is, oh. that's the, the panic button. For, for Final Fantasy is bringing up Final Fantasy 13 just got buried in oh yeah you'll you'll be great once you have to start playing one of the good Final Fantasy one games the real ones like or, Final Fantasy 10 too yeah or <laughs> oh if you like 13 then then you probably shouldn't don't belong here and things like that and it's just like guys somebody just discovered this it makes them happy it makes them happy nurture that love exactly right? even if you do want to say well I'm glad you enjoyed it but it's really not one of the better entries in the franchise. Try six or seven or nine or ten. Cool. Yes. But they were just being jerks about it. Then, then show them. Yeah. <laughs> so I think the way we're, what we're saying here is when you bring people in and make the thing they love bigger, even in the number of people and amount of content, that is a great community. While if you try to decrease that, if you try to either say, you're not playing it right, it only fits in my little bubble, or you're not, you're not a real fan, that is what creates a really... People, possibly pe bad place. I think people need an environment where they can express themselves. 
even if they disagreed, if they argue, right? Mm -hmm. a, commu yeah. a, a community is one where you can express how you feel about a game, even if it's, uh, you know, an entry in the franchise that many uh, of the other fans would consider like total crap. Um, you need to be able to express yourself and say, this is what I think, and people need to be like, well, that's weird, <laughs> but okay, fine, you're here now. <laughs> it's no big deal. Yeah. I think, kind of along those lines, I, one thing that could be interesting to talk about too is what, because communities can like can go either way with the game. They can be very serious, where they talk about the mechanics and the, or the story mm -hmm. and in different layers. I mean, the Witcher subreddit I know uh, in particular, and then Witcher communities outside of the internet too are just all very in depth about the game's storylines, the plot structure, the character development. Um, it's not a very meme heavy community, mm -hmm. I would say. Is this too quiet? Okay, sorry. <laughs> but but then you do have other communities that are it's almost all entirely just jokes and nothing serious, and it's, it's just like making fun of the game. Kind of like, like Team Fortress 2, I would say. Almost all the stuff I see from forums or chat rooms or other things for Team Fortress 2, it's all just jokes about hats, which <laughs> is fine. I love them. They're fantastic hat jokes, and, and I want more of them. But what stops a, a community from going bad with either one of those routes, do we think? Well, what would you say is going bad when it comes to memes versus substance? Memes versus substance. <laughs> well, this, I mean, I think the thing, there's the memes versus substance scale. Yeah. And, you know, like, sometimes you need to make that divide. Like, there's Overwatch, and then there's Overwatch memes. Because, <laughs> like, we need to quarantine the memes, <laughs> right, and keep the substance. Whereas, but sometimes, some I'm, trying to, I can't, I'm trying to come up with a community, uh, an idea off the top of my head. Of a community. I mean, there's TF2. That's pretty much just memes, but... I think I got you here, man. What you're thinking of is the difference between Dota and League of Legends. Because <laughs> League of Legends, total, total gimmick heroes. I'm not trying to insult the, the game itself, but the heroes are flashy and designed to be popular. And, you know, it's a very meme-based game. You have the, all the ingredients to make very popular... I'm repeating myself now, but you get my point. All of the flash is there, the pizzazz. They want it to be a popular thing. Well, as with Dota, they try to craft more serious heroes and a more serious experience, and you get a community that more results. There's I'd like to down. talk real quick about one of the paragons of the, uh, of the Dota 2 community is a streamer called Purge Gamers. He just puts out an enormous amount of content, plays all the time, is very friendly, as Dota goes, to beginners. <laughs> uh, and he's very serious. He occasionally makes jokes in his stream, but most of the time he's talking about the game. He's passionate about the game. Yeah, he's passionate about the game. I'm pretty sure that uh, it was League of Legends streamers who eventually got Twitch to ban nudity. So that gives you an idea of what's going on in the difference between the two communities. It's as in got them to ban nudity, as in got their ball taken away from them, not they, they rallied to have Twitch ban nudity. Yeah. Twitch ban nudity because of them. Exactly. Of their actions. Yes. 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 Not as a... Yeah, not... That's an important distinction. Yeah. Not due so, to a petition from League of Legends. Please, no more nudity. <laughs> <laughs> no, just from the streamers. But the, the thing is, you have a game which is meant to be flashy and out there and very popular, and then you have a game which is meant to be taken much more seriously, and you see the exact results, which is just what we were talking about. Yeah, um, another kind of example of something more in the middle um, is gonna be uh, the Pokemon community. Um, you have an ex a pretty direct divide as to the people who are gonna be taking it more as like a fun thing where you're just like showing off all kinds of 
like memes and it's your boy like Guzma. artwork, huh? It's your boy Guzma. Do you your like boy, Mudkips? Your boy Guzma. What? Do you like Do you like Mudkips? I'm more of a Torchic guy personally, but that's okay. I like Torchic a little bit more. Yeah, no, we're, we're yeah. in the meme. That's okay. Anyway, I know. I'm sorry, um, but yeah, no, like you have the like much more meme-directed side of the community, which obviously I don't spend a ton of time with because I have no idea what you guys were just talking about. <laughs> but, uh, and then you also have, on a very separate end of things, um, people who get together and talk about, like, hey, like, what are the best ways um, to breed my Pokemon to get the best, like, you like know. IVs and EVs. IVs yeah. and EVs, yeah, no. Um, and in general, like, anyone you talk to who's like, hey, I'm really into Pokemon, you can end up with either, and you have a really good conversation with that. Well, person. and I think that that, like, it, that it's it's got a very low barrier to entry for that community, so it's a it's a more fun experience because of that overall. Whether it's on the serious end or on the silly meme end, we're all into Pokemon. If you're into Pokemon, yeah, and that's part of how the community has like been able to shape its own personality, and how the uh, how the game has been able to shape the the personality of the community, because. It's kind of a, a you know weird, silly franchise because you're capturing monsters and enslaving them to do your bidding and, and battle for and you. And be no, your friends. You're making friendships. You're making friendships. Oh, no, no, okay. We only started. We only started making friendships friends. with them. We only started making friendships with them in Gen Six, and that was just sort of rubbing them until hearts shot out. It was weird. <laughs> uh, you worked. didn't play Pokemon Yellow. <laughs> I was best friends with my Pikachu. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, so like they. They, they, they push that, and it's, it's, it's a bit silly, but it works, and it, it works for the audience they're appealing to. But then on the, under the surface, there's a needlessly oblique, or not, not oblique, needlessly uh, opaque. Opaque, is, yes. Needlessly opaque, needlessly complicated RPG system underneath that people love to deconstruct. And so you invite both sides of, of that community just by catering to them. And then now we've got this whole second wave because Pokemon Go brought in a lot of the nostalgia wave, and then Sun and Moon brought in even more than Nostalgia Wave with like the Alola variants and everything, but also gave birth to new memes by inheriting everything wrong with JRPGs, by just being a press A simulator. So you got this really weird, ridiculous story. Uh, and so it helped shape this community like you're talking about of, it's almost like two, it's almost like two sides of, of this, a different community because the game is almost trying to be two things at once, which isn't necessarily saying anything bad about Pokemon, but that's always been a weird identity crisis Pokemon has had and that shows in the community. Well, and our, our next question was supposed to be what shapes community personality, which I think we've really that's gone into. That's why I said that. Uh -huh. well, Boom, transition. I was trying to make a segue because <laughs> um, I'm clever. And I think that something that's interesting here and that's definitely coming out is at the beginning of the podcast, we were talking as if there is one community around each game, and that is certainly not true. Not even slightly. <laughs> not even slightly because within any game, there are you know, millions of different things to love about it, and now, I mean, there are communities in person that might, you know, decide that one part of a game is the most important thing. Uh, just, I'm sure there are fan clubs making up fake albums for the Chocobros in Final Fantasy XV. Oh, for sure. I, but I'm sure that there are also people making up complex and in-depth fan theories about what was actually going on underneath the surface and parts of the game didn't get to. So I think what shapes community personality to some degree is what part of the community is important to you, what part of the game is important to you. And even, let's be honest, these are communities made up of people. What, what people are important to you? Because there might be a community that you weren't really into until you fell in love with the people in it, and then you went deep. So to build on that a little bit, uh, the people influence 
the, what the community becomes, but the game developer also influences that in that they can make certain parts of the game easier to explore or care about. I'd like to bring up Bloodborne, which is one of my favorite games. It The gameplay is exceptionally difficult, as with all Born or Souls games, but once you get past the learning curve and start to proceed, you are free to lore hunt and explore this dismal, bleak, but absolutely fascinating world. And because the complex, the combat is complex, but outside of the combat, there's relatively little besides these little tiny clues for you to hunt for, it becomes a prime focus of the game. So I, I, I don't want to think about how many hours <laughs> I've spent watching lore hunting videos of Bloodborne specifically, but it's, it's definitely a focus brought on by the creators, and that's something which is reflected in the community. And I think sometimes the creators try to do stuff like that, and sometimes it works, but sometimes it falls flat on its face. A game that tried to do exactly that and was very obviously trying to, to piggyback off of the Soulsborne games and didn't really work was Destiny. Uh, Destiny, yeah. again, mechanically, Destiny was an amazing game. Uh, the shooting was incredibly tight. Everything worked. Uh, you know, there are some complaints to be had about the grind, but whatever. I, I played it for a long time. I really enjoyed it. Peter I'll probably jump back it. and do it at some point. What? And you not being a first-person shooter player. I mean, I'm not as much of a first-person shooter guy, yeah. yeah. Uh, and so, like... That worked really well, and they did have a, they have a really interesting deep lore going on, but they did a similar thing where you find stuff, you get little grimoire cards, it gives you bits and pieces, but they didn't put it in the actual game. To actually access the lore cards, you had to go to Bungie's website and scroll through and read them that way, which nobody is going to do. Uh, and so they were kind of trying to be... Jeff and I, apparently. <laughs> yeah, apparently, yeah. yeah. I mean, did like, I did really a little bit, that? but it's just... Yeah, we really did that. I, oh, we we wow. talked yeah, about we doing that, and Grant gave us a weird look when we told him. Like, yeah, like... like you right now is yeah. Well, also, I don't, know if it, I don't know if it got better by the time you all were playing, but when, at least when the game first launched, the website was also incredibly, incredibly slow. So it would take, like, two minutes to read one grimoire card. So it, anyway, it was a bad setup. But anyway, they were... So they were trying to do something similar, but just even that little difference in the execution can cause that part of the community to fall flat. So now if you look, the Destiny community is a great community, and they talk about the intricacies of the gameplay and, you know, rain salt from the sky whenever a gun gets nerfed uh, and all that kind of stuff. But very rarely you'll see people trying to pick apart the lore. It happens, but they don't care as much. And, and maybe it's partially because it's pulling in the Halo crowd and they don't care as much about that kind of thing for the most part. Uh, but I think it's also partially because the, the developers didn't guide them that way, especially because they took such an active hand in the community, but kind of botched that one element. And meanwhile, a game like Mass Effect that had its lore in-game that had really deep character work has a community that cares about those aspects. And now that Andromeda is almost coming out, they are picking each other to pieces, trying to figure out what we know, what we don't know, and what's coming up. And I think that that's a really... I mean... Just even the act of a wiki existing for Mass Effect, the Mass Effect wiki is a really weird thing because it was created by fans working off of the game and working off of the in-game lore, but it is to the point where the creators of the game will look at the wiki as a source of truth for information about the game, and it's because people love that lore they created so much that they wanted to have verisimilitude, and they wanted that world to seem real. Some very powerful meta. <laughs> Actually, the... There's one other thing that I think can really have an impact on a community's personality, so to, so to speak, and that's kind of like influencers within that community. So mm -hmm. the people who might be known as the more prominent streamers, like, like Purge, 
like with Dota. Um, specifically, I'm thinking of, I had an experience with kind of watching a community blossom a bit around a game uh, called Rainbow Six Siege <laughs> <laughs> that came out a while ago. And Rainbow Six games, well, Rainbow Six was kind of controversial a little bit because typically it's, uh, I sound loud to me, but <laughs> so Rainbow Six was a little controversial because the game franchise has traditionally been very detail-oriented and almost cumbersome with how much uh, customization there was an effort in like you had to like crouch like put a snake camera under a door tag enemies then like send your other guys around to the other side time them so that you all bust open the door at once it was borderline simulator Pr pretty much yeah and uh, and then you had a you had rules of engagement so you're like okay yeah yes you can just shoot people or no don't not unless they shoot first which was actually kind of cool but that's what people liked about it is because there's that le level of detail it felt very realistic rainbow six siege is not very realistic at all. No. It's, it's, it's a SWAT action movie simulator, and it's amazing, and I <laughs> love it. But so this, I, I, I went on the Rainbow Six Siege subreddit a lot because I'm, I'm, I'm on Reddit all the time, and I was like, I really like this game. I kind of want to try and actually participate in a community for one of the first times. And there wasn't really much there, I think, because no one really knew what to make of it. Like I said, Rainbow Six used to be these people who are very in deep into the, with the tactics and the detail of it. And this game was very competitive and, you know, fast-paced and action-oriented, which was not really what Rainbow Six usually is. So people weren't sure what to make of themselves. It was nebulous. There was really no identity. Um, but one thing that kind of helped is uh, there was uh, some streamers and some players who started posting their videos on how to use certain operators and how to use certain tactics. And they kind of combined the two. Uh, one in which just so you guys know, we just hit the halfway point. Thank you. I'll, I'll wrap this up. <laughs> but there's one guy in particular named Serenity17 who just started making operator videos for how to play different operators and how they can impact the game. And people started rallying around this and realizing, oh, there's, there's more to this game. And people started talking about, hey, we can play this way, play this way, play this way, and making jokes. And suddenly it turned into this really positive community. We we're all talking about how we can use the different operators effectively and different, different strategies we can run and, and how we're having fun or and more challenge doing that. And I was like, wow, it, it just took off as soon as he started posting videos. So that's, and I think that's, he's, he and a few other people are partially what shaped it into the very, you know, competitive, but, but collaborative and, 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 ta and like sharing your tactics sort of based community it is today. Okay, and uh, Jeff, you kind of talked a little bit about this when you were talking about how the Bloodborne games were created. But once the game is done, once the game is out and existing in the world, or even when it's just in the marketing stage, how does the creator and the people who worked on the game have an impact on the community? Like, is that a completely separate thing, or is that important? Does anyone else want to take this? Because uh, I yeah. personally but believe that the role of the creator in a community is to troll the community as much as humanly possible. And I think that's because <laughs> oh, you played a lot okay. of Metal Gear Solid. That might, that might be because say, I love Metal Gear Solid and Kingdom Kojima Hearts. Fan. Um, so ex explain. Uh, well, Hideo Kojima just generally loves to troll his fans. Um, he, I remember when Metal Gear Solid V was coming out, he held a big, like, online stream of, like, oh, it's going to be a big reveal about the game. This one we knew relatively little about it. And uh, they had a whole bunch of other stuff talking about, like, the special editions and the merchandising and everything, and it finally got to the end of it. And uh, he said, uh, oh, now for the very special announcement regarding Metal Gear Solid V. And everyone's like, oh, we're going to find out. We're going to find out that, you know, you're actually playing as Gray Fox, photoshopped and plastic surgery to look like Naomi wearing a big boss mask or something. Like, <laughs> well, all the ridiculous theories that were out. And then he said, uh, the big announcement was Metal Gear Solid 5. You can wear a chicken hat. 
<laughs> and there's a picture of a snake wearing a chicken hat. And the crowd went wild. And he said, thank you and good night. And that was it. Well, I think another way that someone did it, Ed Boone is the guy who created, he's most famous for Mortal Kombat. Um, yeah, Mortal Kombat and Injustice. And Injustice, the, uh, the fighting game where you play as DC superheroes. And one day for his Twitter icon, he just had an image that could either be an 11, like, you know, 11. Yeah, it, it was two, two straight lines. Two it was straight either an lines. 11 or a Roman numeral 2. Injustice 1 had come out. Mortal Kombat 10 had come out. It could be a sequel to either game. And Twitter freaked out. Like, people who probably had just, you know, they cared about the community were suddenly vocal. They were suddenly engaging with each other. They were suddenly engaging with him. And so by messing with them, he connect, put people together and connected them. It's funny. It was Injustice 2. It's funny how trolling people can bring them together and that people who are quiet are now suddenly very loud and angry and targeting all their things <laughs> in one person. And have a lot of opinions. Yes. But I think one, thing, one important thing to call out there is those communities, like, they, in a way, they, they, they kind of um, enjoy that. Oh, they totally feed off of it. Yeah, well, they right? feed off of it, and they, but they like that. They're like, oh, he got us. It's not... Hideo Kojima fans generally are okay with the fact that he's a troll. And wasn't it, wasn't it was it Dark Souls 2 where the developer said... Uh, you know, oh, I always pick this item at the beginning of every playthrough, and he wouldn't say why. Yes, and I know then, that yeah, story. And then, it, and then months and months later, people were trying to figure out, oh, what does it do? What does it do? It was and a pendant. Said, yeah, it was a pendant. You know, you get to pick your starting gear, and there was a pendant. And he said, I always pick it every time. And then finally, after months, there's people speculating. He said, oh, it doesn't do anything. I was just messing with you. <laughs> it's a blank it was, item. It, it was a completely <laughs> worthless item that he put in the game, and then it endorsed in the community just to mess with them. Just to give them a harder time. And they loved the it because Dark Souls fans are masochists. I actually hadn't heard that, and that totally fits. Yeah. Well, that totally fits. But I don't think the creator has to be a troll. There are times where the creator loves your thing as much as you do, and the fact that you're getting feedback from the creator of the thing you love makes you love it more because you feel like there's a relationship there. Yeah, I was, I was going to say, I think that's more what it is. I mean, trolling is one way of doing it. You know, um, sharing maybe some of the uh, individual community's content as a creator or reaching out to them is another oh, way of doing it. It's but always it's great when like animators have fan art for their characters. Mm -hmm. Or voice actors. Either. Or voice yeah. actors, yeah. But or uh, Hideki Naganuma. Uh, if yes. anyone, has pl anyone remembers Jet Set Radio and Jet Set Radio Future. Yes. Uh, favorite, favorite, like, just random soundtrack yeah, game. Yeah, it's, it's and, more... And uh, he, uh, he, he wrote the full soundtrack, produced it, everything, and he's just really still crazy into the community, like constantly talking with fans. His he's Twitter feed in general is also just gold. He's also weirdly into uh, Splatoon, so... That makes you sense. Know, the kind of, there's a lot of fun fan art that you see blending both Jet Set Radio and uh, Splatoon characters all the time, and he, he retweets it all over the place, because he's like, isn't this great? I would love to work on Splatoon. To be fair, I'm pretty sure Splatoon would only be better if you were on rollerblades the whole time. Right? So basically, there's... I mean, just to, for people who haven't heard of Jet Set Radio Future, it was a Sega game that was just a very weird cult game that some people loved extremely, partially for the soundtrack. And so the guy who created the soundtrack is still... I would still, argue entirely for the soundtrack. <laughs> yeah. Is still finding people making content about that and retweeting them, and they're tweeting to him, and he's tweeting back, and so he's 
a one-man node for this game that existed, and all the spokes of the wheel are coming out and, and going he, into him. He didn't make the game. No, not only did he not make the game, but there hasn't been a new entry in the franchise since the original Xbox. Like, no, the, it's effectively the, a dead franchise. The but he helps keep it. it alive. Yeah, the creators have have all but abandoned it. They don't do anything with it anymore. But he he's the composer. He just still liked it so much, and he likes the fans so much that everyone comes to him, and he keeps it alive. It's so bizarre, but it's amazing. Well, um, they, but that's what we were saying before is. It's more um, creator interaction with the community where it's, they, they, they make them kind of feel like they're a part of it. Well, yeah. and Not I think just saying hi, but actually rewarding them or just acknowledging them and saying, yeah, this is great. I'm glad to have you as a part of it. And well, part of that and part of why we come to cons is because we think of creators of our favorite things as kind of unreachable. I mean, you read a book, that is you reading a page. You play a video game, you put stuff into it, but the, the creator doesn't know you exist. You know, the, whoever did the animation or the character designs, they don't know that you specifically are playing. But if the, the creator or, and, you know, somebody who worked on the game comes back and interacts with you, or even just puts out a video, they're saying, I care about this community. I'm interested in you. And you feel like all the love you put in that game is coming back. Absolutely. Absolute. <coughs> Excuse me. <laughs> Second mic check near the end. So uh, it's great when everybody loves the creator, but uh, <laughs> I was, I was going to say this. Uh, yeah, uh, there are definitely times when it's not a love. Fest. It's not a love fest. The, uh, sometimes the community will sort of hold a mutiny and turn against the creator, and uh, it's interesting to watch that happen too. Either either individual creators or when they just sort of turn on the developers in general and try to say that you know the people who made this thing I love are horrible. Which example are you going to go with here? I'm really curious. It's great when about when eight. It's great when the developers fight back too. It is. It just gets even worse. Um, I mean, there are a couple of examples. I think um, one of the most prevalent ones is probably Mass Effect, actually, because yeah. when Mass Effect Three came out, everyone threw a fit because they didn't understand the ending. Oh yes. Okay. No uh, and then I, I thought we weren't going to talk about religion and politics at the table. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm making my stand. Everybody needs to shut up especially after the extended cut. Uh, and, like, it's kind of still a thing now where, like, even now, if you go to, like, the Mass Effect subreddit, you get people that are like, yeah, but, you know, haha, easy joke about the ending sucking. Yeah, like, you don't even have to go as far as that. You can just come to my store and say the word Mass Effect. Hang around for 10 minutes. <laughs> and you get some guy who never actually oh, played it being like, oh, no, oh I no, heard the like, ending no, sucked. No, it's terrible. <laughs> oh, yeah. game. 60 hours of Masterpiece are ruined because the ending wasn't exactly what I wanted with 1,500 different possible endings. <laughs> Why wasn't my ending... Affected by the fact that I left Captain Kirahi alive. <laughs> what happened to the Mako? <laughs> what happened to the Mako? No that actually is. But anyway, no so, so like everyone turns. It's, it's an interesting timeline because the ending leaked. The fans complained because they didn't like the ending. And so they turned against the creators because they didn't like the ending. And so the developers, Bioware, said like, oh, people really, really don't like this. Okay, let's write a new one. They wrote a new one. The fans didn't like that one. And now the general hardline people who are against the ending are that they should have gone with the original one that they didn't like in the first place. <laughs> and so it's like... It was a lose-lose. There, there there's no pleasing some people. And so... You can't and I'm not everyone. trying to say that if a community turns against its creator, it's necessarily automatically the community is in the wrong. No. Because sometimes no. the creator deserves it. Yeah. No but man's Just because you make a good game doesn't mean you're a good person. Yeah. Um, but, you know, like there was a big backlash against Phil Fish, that the guy who made Fez, that you could argue was deserved... Um, and yeah, there's a, a big uproar against No Man's Sky when that released. You'd, there's a spectrum there. There's a point at which I think people took it too far, but there's also a, 
a wide margin. I think people were, were reasonable in their well, complaints. And I think No Man's Sky is a really interesting example of a community that created itself before the game existed. There was so much hype. People were like chatting back and forth online for months about what this game would be. And so because they created a community before they knew what they actually had, when they got it and it wasn't what they had built up in their head and what had been built up in their head by other people, that's when it turned sour. And on the No Man's Sky community before release, even suggesting it might not be a great game was like sacrilege. Yeah, so, so much identity <laughs> is wrapped up in that community. Um, and I, I think that begs the question is how do these communities happen in the first place? Not what shapes them, but why, why are there communities around games and is it inevitable for there to be community in gaming? Yes. <laughs> yes, it is. Simple answer, as long as there are home. the end. As long as there are two people who play a game and want to talk about it, there's a community. They just have to find each other, which can be a pain in the butt. But no, no, you need two people to talk about the game and a third person to draw fan art. Uh, and a fourth person to call them all wrong. So yes. There, you've got a community. Yep. Four people. Four. Although, if one of them draws fan art and the other one's a jerk, because you could do it with two. Although, all I right, think, yeah, that's fair. I think to build on that, part of it is... It's not so much, you know, as long as there are games and people willing to talk about them, there will be, there will be communities. But it's, it's more, it's almost, I feel it's almost more like you can't really play almost any game or kind of do anything without bumping into someone from a community. Like, there, especially now when, when there's so many more ways to engage with people, uh, online, uh, events, in person, um, uh -huh. It's mainly online, let's face it. <laughs> but but in-person events do happen. I yeah, mean, uh, Bungie look just... Look at this. Bun look at this. where we yeah. are. Cons. <laughs> Wait, this all, is real? Yes. All seven of you. This is, this is not a I'm not sitting in my room experience. playing VR. No. Yeah. Uh, but even think. like... Uh, like it, wasn't, it, it wasn't specifically hosted by Bungie, but the Destiny community put together a, an event at a bar in Bellevue for the release of Taken King, and so it was a bunch of people all coming together just for a night to hang out and drink and talk about the game and party up, and it was a real-life meetup of the Destiny community. Well, it's mostly online, but that's saying real that, life happens. And that's saying communities have to be organized. There are a lot of organic communities that happen, and the way that, I mean, if we're defining a community as connecting with other people over a game you love, Connor and Jessica would not be dating if not for the community that's created by gaming. Oh, yes, that's, that's true. true. <laughs> he was wearing I like how you Zelda think for a second. Yeah, he was wearing a Zelda t-shirt when I met him, and I was like, so you play Nintendo games? He goes, well, I'm more of an Xbox fan, and there you go. And um, well, the rest and is Destiny history. was written. Well, and uh. as someone who works in an unnamed game retailer, <laughs> I assume that you have some customers who choose not to buy on Amazon or oh, yeah. anywhere else because they want to come into the store and they want to talk to people about oh, yeah, something they no, love. I mean, like, specific retailers, and not just the one I work at. I mean, like, there are people who will exclusively shop at, like, um, some of the more mom-and-pop stores because they prefer those sorts of setups. Um, not that many exist anymore, unfortunately, but you can find them, mostly retro game stores for those. But even so, like, um, which is really cool. You get people who exclusively do digital downloads because they don't want to deal with other people, right? Um, but yeah, no, I mean, communities can spring up anywhere. I mean, like, one of my examples is... I was uh, actually out donating blood, and I was wearing um, a Mirror's Edge t-shirt at the time, and I had my Witcher pendant on. 
And uh, so naturally it sparked up a conversation of, oh, you must like a lot of games and started talking with like, first the guy who tested what type my blood was and then like the two nurses who were taking my blood. And then when I went to go eat a cookie, I ended up talking with a guy who was like, yeah, I, I kept hearing you talk about games with like literally everyone in here. That's great. And you know, I'm a producer over for Guild Wars 2. I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> right? I mean, like it doesn't have to be at, you know, like online or at a con or whatever. It's just start having a conversation. And if you find something you both kind of I mean, even on. like <clears throat> right now, I'm wearing a t-shirt for a video game cover band from the Midwest whose name is a reference to Final Fantasy IV, right? <laughs> like, it's about as far removed from mainstream game culture these days as you can get. But yet, even still, walking on the con today, I had more than one person kind of pointing and going, ah, hey, good shirt. And it's like, I know that you don't actually care about the musical stylings of Stephen Poon and the Spoony Bards, but you appreciate that it's a reference. Man, and therefore, we are part of a community. Careful, what do we say about gatekeeping? <laughs> they saved, might, they might it, understand. You saved they it might. at the end. They yeah. might. I did, but the thing is, I didn't stop to quiz them. I, was, I just appreciated that they appreciated it. Maybe they did. Maybe they didn't. I don't care. <laughs> Probably not, considering it's a small cover band from halfway across the country. All right. I safe. think, though, another, another way communities are created, we have organic creation, we have organized creation, but we have also the people who seek out communities. When you love something so much that your love has to spill over into everywhere and everything, you need to find someone else who cares. Like, it's not enough... I don't know anybody who does that. It's, 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 it's not enough to know that you played this game in the quiet dark of your living room. You have, like, you have things that you're thinking about, and now it's just a quick Google search away to say, is somebody thinking about this too, and are we friends now? <laughs> And yes. The answer is yes. yes the answer is are. yes. Yes, yes. 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 Let's, we are. Let's not look at our Google histories around certain video games and what we may or may not have searched. You know, that's actually a good How point. How many people no, no shot their own horse in Red Dead Redemption? <laughs> Just anyone, me, actually. Has anyone else shot their own horse? Has anyone else roped a deer and fallen off their horse? <laughs> but uh, did anyone else fall asleep while playing this game and accidentally walk off a cliff? I did that. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if those questions are how you create community, though, but the, the question's Maybe like, not. are you the one other person who liked Mass Effect's ending? Whether that happens on the internet, whether that happens at a party, you have sought out a community and you have created a tiny bit of community for yourself. And in that way, because humans are a social species, those communities are inevitable about almost everything. But especially in the geek community where the best thing about the geek community is how much we love things and how much we love the people who love the things we love and how but much we want to share the things we love. So by, by nature, it's a very open culture, too. Mm -hmm. You're encouraged to share as much as you possibly can with everyone, which bothers some people, but here, not really. <laughs> and it's um, the kind of culture where you'll get beaten into submission about a game that you know you should play. Yeah. Like, it's yes. the point where you, um, you don't play a game because so many people have been telling you to play a game that you end up not doing it out of spite. Like, that can happen. And in a culture where that can happen, you've got a lot of people sharing things. And, and so that community's gonna happen organically to the point where you are beating people into submission out of the community just because. Well, and God bless the internet. I mean, God bless the internet and God curse the internet because there, there are a lot of toxic things on the internet. There are a lot of ways that people do do gatekeeping and create worse communities. But there is so much fan art 
that I love deeply that only exists because of the internet. Like there are artists that I have loved for years because of their art, both gaming and otherwise, who I'll be walking around the con and I'll see something I recognize and then I'll realize that that artist is a real person. But until then, the thing I loved about them is how much they loved my thing and how they look at it in a different way that, you know, and I get an experience that I wouldn't have gotten if I just saw the game myself because they bring their own unique perspective to it or something funny, something interesting. And that is a beautiful thing. Hmm. I think we're ready to move on to our, yeah. our regretsies. Okay. I think. Well, Are we done at 745 we, or 8? Uh, do we, we want to do the regretsies? Pretend we're not doing this part. Are we doing 740? Do I mean, I, I figure with this many people, it might actually work. It could work. So, actually, can everybody move into this front row? Because <laughs> we thought we'd be this front row. We're going to play a game. Yeah, we're going to play a game. We There's no we prize, but to we're going to play a game. We had uh, a big projected screen, we're and uh, that was not the case. <laughs> but no. thankfully, nobody showed up, so we can play the game. <laughs> no, people showed up. Nobody stayed. No, no, no. We, we love these nobody. people. So, okay, so this the game... This is honestly more than I was expecting. That's true. So, the game is called Regretsy. Okay, so how many of you have looked for stuff on Etsy before? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That sounds about right. There is some wonderful stuff on Etsy. There is some beautiful stuff on Etsy. And then there's the other stuff on Etsy. <laughs> yes. There's and the, by the stuff way, I... that you look at that you go, that clearly took you a lot of time. Yeah. I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll skip. I'll, 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 I'll interrupt here really quick to back up just a little bit. This is something we actually do every episode. We're not just not regretsy. Not not regretsy specifically, but every every episode at the end we do. We used to call it a lightning round. Then we realized we were taking forever to do them, so we called them the molasses round because molasses is the opposite, opposite of lightning. lightning for, right. Yeah. So, um, but so every episode we just we will have a, a in depth discussion and, and talk about a different topic, whether it's community or you know role playing, or vice versa, and then we'll just kind of dick off for. 15 minutes, and, and, and kind of have fun in a way that's relevant to that. 15 minutes to, to 45 minutes, depending <laughs> on the episode. Minutes, we'll, we'll, we'll come up with a fun topic. Like, you know, we, we did our episode about, about uh, female avatars in gaming and, you know, what it means to be playing as a female character in, in video games. And so then we had our molasses round was take a character and swap the gender uh, and just see what fun that comes from. And some of them were funny and silly, but some of them were actually kind of interesting. If you change Adam Jensen from Deus Ex into a, a woman, then you get some interesting commentary on plastic surgery and female body standards. Anyway. Anyway. <laughs> so this game specifically is called Regretsy. So what we all did before this panel is we trolled Etsy, and we found something that was sometimes cool, sometimes weird, definitely a weird price for it. And so what we want is we are going to pull you guys about what you think this item cost on Etsy. Basically, we're playing the prices right. Yeah, so whoever is closest without going over gets a sticker. <laughs> it's very exciting. Everyone else can get a sticker, too, but the winner can get two stickers. Oh, man. If we have that many stickers. Do we have that many stickers? You, you, have have you promised too much. I don't know how much. many stickers we have. <laughs> You've gone okay, you, you get can't a go back now. How about this? Card. Everybody gets a business card. The winners get a sticker. <laughs> But if you sneak by and want a sticker later, I'll hand you one under the table. I think we should move past the stickers. Yeah. <laughs> so we've got, oh, okay. we've, got, we've got five things, right? Five regretsies. And by oh, the way, the way this is connected is because one way in which communities exist outside of games is when people actually create not just art, but like literal objects. Yeah, so uh, we're, not, we're not just pulling this out of nowhere. No, no, it's really it's still it's connected. connected. We thought about this. Much as you might not think we did, we did. Sadly, this was an episode where we probably put more effort into it than any other episode previous. 
funny how much of our episodes are us. We do some editing. Uh, like, some? Or us just sitting there being like, coming up with ideas for the Monsters Round. Monsters Rounds are probably like their own like 45 to 50 minutes until we cut it down to 15. <laughs> <laughs> so while we're getting this all set up, uh, for those of you who aren't aware, uh, we do actually have a podcast, and that's why we're, for some reason, qualified to do this. Uh, we've got, like, what, 12 episodes out now? We're actually doing pretty good. It's about 12. 12 13, not, even if you don't count the appetizers, which are short episodes, mini yeah. episodes. But we've got our podcast, but we also do articles every week. Uh, we try to get out an article every week. That's one that we're actually pretty good at. Um, so we do articles. Uh, we've also actually got a fun bit on our page called The Baked Meat Bites, where we'll take something funny that out of context, makes no sense, but is interesting from an episode. Sometimes it's a blooper, sometimes we cut it out and it's not in the episode, but we wanted to uh, sort of keep it anyway and share it. Yeah, so just fun little sound bites. So uh, the, the, our Twitter and everything are all on our business cards, so you can go and check it out and see all the fun stuff that we've got going on. We're ready to go? Awesome. Okay. Can you guys see the screen yeah. okay? <laughs> promise I won't drop your expensive computer. Is this your work computer or your personal no, computer? No, this is my personal computer. Okay, good. <laughs> Thanks. Ah. So uh, here's our first regretsy. It is a, uh, as you can see, it is a handmade item. It is an XCOM 2 Galactic Empire with General Spear wallpaper. You can buy a desktop wallpaper. Now, searching for desktop wallpaper on the internet is for plebes. You can have this custom <laughs> desktop wallpaper. Okay, so who, who, how much would you guys pay for this fancy schmancy wallpaper? Five dollars? Two dollars? Five dollars? Big spender. Okay. How much do you think someone thought? <laughs> That's where the strategy enters the game. Yeah. Okay. Now, I would like to point out, as I was the guy who found this one, uh, this is not just an XCOM wallpaper. This is a wallpaper, it's a screen cap from the game celebrating a playthrough of the game by a certain streamer with a specific mod to make everything Star Wars themed. So we're just oh, we're so just getting crazy oh, okay. specific oh, that, that here. Makes it, that makes it more eclectic, though. Exactly. Okay. So, so any new bids, or are okay, we, we good? Got, we got five dollars. We got two dollars. You said a hundred? All right. Go high. All Go right. High. Charlie's saying a hundred. Okay. okay. So, uh, nope, was that fifteen? Two fifty, guys, for the for oh, the high price wow. of two fifty, you've got yourself a desktop wallpaper. So, did who's anybody it? guess under that? Who guessed two dollars? Somebody guessed two dollars. I guessed two dollars at first. There you go. That good counts. enough. We're counting. That's it. very good. You get a sticker. Yes. Yeah, okay. Next, uh, we have this beautiful Garrus plushie. Uh, yeah. It is hand knit, apparently, and yeah. uh, uh, I think it's a combination of knit and crochet tactics with some felt for the uh, little face flaps. Yeah, it's, uh, and it's polyfilled. He's, he's quite cuddly, according to the. Uh, <laughs> and it's, it's very, very cute. It's, a, it's a, like like only one bit. was made, so it is a very unique item. I think they only made one because they looked at him and were like, uh, "Don't worry." <laughs> so uh, he's not as he's not as sexy as the game, Garrus. Yeah, so no. all of the, you know, who want to, to cuddle with Garrus at night, how much would you pay for right. this item? Also, he's about yay big from yeah. a lot of the pictures I saw, by the way. So it's not a full body pillow thing. It's yeah. <laughs> Garrus body pillow. <laughs> <laughs> what do we got? Any bids? Any guesses? Uh, 20. 20. I got 20. 20. Jeff, you can't, you can't You guess. can't bid, Jeff. No. Let you Jeff already bid. have all the stickers oh. you want. Let him have fun. No. We got 20. <laughs> this is all he has. 40. 40. 
60. Big spender. 35. Okay. All right, let's do it. 15? 15? Okay. okay. 15? What do you think? That's closer to what I would pay. <laughs> anybody anybody want to be a jerk and add a dollar to anybody's? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this was retailing for $45. Wow, okay. Okay. I'm honestly surprised. Uh, next, we have a beautiful portrait in the style of, oh, Thomas Kincaid. Uh, it's, a, it's a cabin scene with a flowing uh, river and Sonic the Hedgehog being oh, yeah, chased no, by Dr. <laughs> Robotnik down a path filled with golden rings. Yeah, I, gotta, I gotta get where I can actually see some of these because I haven't actually seen these. Yeah, no, I haven't seen any of them. That's some, so. some killer foreshadowing with this guy. So uh, how much would you pay for this piece of fine art to be mounted in your home? Two thousand. Okay, we're starting oh, high. Yeah, right. you, you might want to. I already specify. got my sticker. I don't need to make a reasonable bid. <laughs> Anybody else? Five hundred. Okay. I'm One hundred. This is over fifty bucks. I'm gonna be depressed. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Two hundred. Go to Goodwill. Hey, painting. Okay. Two bucks. This was in fact two hundred and one dollars oh USD. <laughs> Boom. So uh, if you want I to... I think that's the closest. Really, they couldn't do 199 They had to do 201 I, I think it was originally in Euros. Oh, well, they're, if they're European, they're weird. <laughs> All right, so let's see, that's our, that was our third thing? Yeah. So number four. Ah, yeah, this is mine. So this is... Sell it to us. This is the, the title screen of Stardew Valley, the, the popular indie farming simulator, as reimagined in clay. I'm not entirely sure exactly what type of clay. I'm not really a, uh, an art person. I don't entirely know. Is but it clay it's, or Play-Doh? I'm pretty, it says clay, so I'm assuming... It's, it's, oh, here we go. Because clay it's is for Sculpey, serious people. Sculpey clay, acrylic okay. paint with a gloss overcoat. Okay. Oh, well, the oh. gloss overcoat. Having used to sell art supplies, I can tell you, those are actually kind of pricey. So. Oh, okay. Well, your insider information tells you it's pricey. Anyway, so this delightful blob-shaped chicken <laughs> and scenic background could be yours for how much so jessica with your art knowledge what do you say mm. there's no it? picture showing how big this no, is no idea it doesn't i remember i was okay. looking and it, it didn't that was the only picture it had cost of supplies i'd probably put it at about 25 okay, okay. uh the person who made it probably values it at about 50 <laughs> my guess <laughs> 150 73. Like Good number. Good strong number. Okay. Anybody else? 40. 40. 40. Anybody else? So. I'll say one. I want to one? Say well, apparently this person is undervaluing their sculpty clay. It was only $20. Oh, so it's wow. a steal. What happens, what happens when everybody well, overbids? Like, <laughs> so I guess it depends on the size of the thing. Because like a thing of sculpty is like five bucks a pop for the different colors. So basically what we're saying is that this Counter is still available. Dollars, he gets a sticker. <laughs> this is available in the Etsy store wow. now. So Presumably. apparently it's a steal. Apparently. Uh, this last one. I don't know. It's not good of a deal. They might, somebody might have snapped it up before, uh, before, since I looked at it. This last one we included mostly because I think Connor wanted the shock value. So uh, <laughs> uh, what you see here for our, for our listeners at home is a mouse pad uh, with an image of Soldier 76 from Overwatch. Uh, but the hand rest has been lovingly shaped to resemble a very round, his masculine... His buttocks. <laughs> rear end. Yes. Um, he's, so he's putting Nicki Minaj to shame is what he's doing. <laughs> dad, dad bod. Mm -hmm. 
Mm. So for he's this, he's not a young uh, man anymore. But you wouldn't think he's not a young at, man anymore. He's experienced. So for this uh, mouse pad that Freddie Mercury would say makes the rock and world go round, <laughs> what would we get? <laughs> 60. 60. All right. 69. That is one valuable booty. Uh, I'm going to go for 50. 50. I'm just going to say 50. Anybody else? 69. 75. 75. Write down 69. It'll be funny. Okay, 76. 76. 76. Oh, yeah. How did we not think of that? I, I'd oh. like to live in the world where I could sell a mouse pad for 76 bucks. Right. <laughs> just because it's the joke. It's a booty licious mouse pad. Anybody else? Okay. So this mouse pad, once again, we did overbid. It is 1850, 1850. which I think is the year that Soldier 76 was born. Something like that. <laughs> Those are his butt cheek measurements. So with that last beautiful image, uh, that, this has been the live recording of the Volcano Bake Meat podcast. Thank you guys for coming. It was great to have you here. Join the conversation online by visiting our website, volcanobakemeat.wordpress.com. Emailing us at so simply very good at gmail.com, following us on Twitter at so simply very good, good spelled G U D like a law cat, subscribing to our subreddit, our Volcano Bake Meat, following us on Facebook at Volcano Bake Meat Radio, or checking out our YouTube channel, Volcano Bake Meat. And of course, you can subscribe to the podcast or review us on iTunes and Stitcher. Our opening theme is by Techne, spelled T E X V N, and you can find his work on SoundCloud. Our about page portraits were drawn by Sarah Tillery. Her art can be found at stillsart.tumblr.com, and she is open for commissions. Thanks for listening, and have a great week.